Good morning, community of faith. I hope you are doing well today. You look good today. I'm thankful that we get to connect even virtually online. What's up to all the online fam? Uh, man, listen, after I walk up here and that video is on, I feel like I need to run out here with like a headband on and like ready to go to battle. Um, full Mel Gibson blue paint on my face. Uh, but listen, I, let me ask you this question. Let's start the day off with this. How did you wake up this morning? Specifically, what did you wake up or how, what woke you up? You know, there's times that we wake up on purpose and there's times that we get woken up by accident. Something wakes us up. Um, I woke up this morning with something similar to this. Um, I don't know if your phone ever looks like that, but that's what my phone looks like sometimes. I've learned this. Uh, I like to hit the snooze button at times. There's other times where I don't hit the snooze button, but I've learned that with days where I need to get up at a very specific time, earlier than normal maybe, I like getting up early, but uh, super early, I do this just in case I accidentally hit the off button instead of the snooze button. This is my, uh, this is what protects me from being late to where I need to be. Some of you are like that. Uh, but maybe, maybe you didn't wake up by something planned. Maybe you woke up by something unexpected today. Maybe you woke up something like this, the neighbor's dog, and you decided you had the thought of throwing some things over the fence for the dog. Um, we won't ask you what that was because we don't want to judge you for that. We got we to gotta show some love for our cat people. Maybe you woke up like this. That's the way you wake up. And I'll just tell you, that is a picture of hell in my mind, uh, waking up like that. Um, but that's another day, another topic. Uh, what Maybe this. Anybody woke up from that recently? Isn't it funny? That always happens in the middle of the night. I mean, you're like in your REM sleep having your best dream, living your best life, and this decides to chirp, and you wake up, and you, you get up on a chair, and you're, trying, you're staring at it, trying to make sure that that's the one, and then it chirps, and you figure it out, and you're like, okay. And then you never have a nine-volt battery. That's, I mean, this is a complicated situation. Uh, maybe that's not what woke you up recently. Maybe it was something like this. Northwest Houston, I mean, represent. Northwest Houston, when I moved here, I was like, wow. July 4th, January 1st, this place turns into a war zone. Notice I only said two days. Some of you don't believe in just celebrating on those two days. And you'd like to wake the rest of us up two weeks before the day that we're supposed to celebrate or two months after at one o'clock in the morning. Um, I love you, just not in those moments, but maybe that's woken you up recently. Maybe it was this. Maybe you woke up to the smell of bacon. Now, that's not a bad way to wake up. I, I, that's, that's, I, can, I can handle that. Let me, let me show you one more. Now, this is for all the parents of teenagers. Listen, let me show you something. I know that waking your child up can be difficult sometimes. And you're, you've asked them multiple times, listen, you're going to be late. You're going to be late. You're going to miss the bus. I need you to get out of bed. And they just, I mean, they are not moving. Little secret, little parenting pro tip for you, okay? Walk into their room, put their phone in your hand, and say, oh, you've got some unread text messages. Let me see what those say. And I guarantee you, they will get up out of bed as soon as you start reading their text messages. We've all been woken up in different ways. Sometimes it's on purpose, sometimes it's unexpected. And today I want us to look at a story in Daniel chapter five that I believe is a wake-up call moment, an unexpected wake-up call moment. Nobody wakes up in the morning intentionally setting an alarm in order to do nothing. We wake up on purpose. To wake up means to, to get up, to wake up, and to do something. And I think as we dive into the story, it's an opportunity for us to see ourselves in the story and what it means for us, and to maybe wake up to some things and do something as a result of that. What I want us to think about today is this idea of waking up to wasted time. 
Every single one of us will never get this moment back, this time we're spending together back. Time is your most valuable currency. Elon Musk tweeted that on Friday. Time is your most valuable currency. So what would it look like to wake up to time that maybe is wasted? And as we unpack this, I think we'll see three symptoms of wasted time, but I also want to unpack three remedies to that wasted time. So let's dive in. Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to pick up reading about a story about a guy named Belshazzar. Man, I better be careful. I'm going to say something I don't need to say on camera. Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for, thousand, for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Continues on. It says, when Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, pause right there for just a second. We read about Nebuchadnezzar the last few weeks. Last week, Mark talked about Nebuchadnezzar's uh, fall from uh, pride and arrogance and finding himself out in the desert, and God humbles him in that circumstance, that situation. King Nebuchadnezzar is Belshazzar's grandfather, not his father. The reason I think that that's important is because there's, in the Aramaic and the Hebrew, there is not a word for the word grandfather. So anytime we see father, it doesn't always mean the literal father as we would understand it in our culture today. So he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather. So he's taken, he's, he's, he's asked them to bring out the gold and the silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. Remember, the Babylonians took out Judah. They brought some of the men, the young men, to Babylon, as well as some of the things from the temple that was in Judah. So these are sacred things that are to be set apart only for the use of worshiping God. So, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. We skip verse three, go to verse four. It says, they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, stone. This is an interesting passage. We're reading about an incredible party, an epic party. In the year 539 BC, Belshazzar is throwing a festival for him and all of his best friends, all the highest ranking people in the city, in the nation of Babylon, they're there together. This is, this is about 23 years after what we talked about last weekend, about Nebuchadnezzar being in the desert. So his grandson is throwing this party. There's a, there's a feast. And the word wine in the first verse actually, re, actually refers to a large amount of wine. Okay, so this party is turned up. Tom Brady, Gronk, I mean, they are hanging out. They are living it up. They are having a blast as they're celebrating, drinking the wine. Belshazzar decides, you know, I don't really even like Toby Keith and Red Solo Cups. Let's go get the silver and the gold vessels that were taken from Jerusalem and let's celebrate, let's pour the wine in those and let's drink those. This party is going crazy, but I think it's important for us to understand something. It's really kind of bizarre that they're having a party that they're celebrating in this moment because right outside the city walls of Babylon are the Persians and the Medes and they've arrived not to come celebrate, but they have arrived to take the lives of those in Babylon. They are there to destroy Belshazzar, his family, and the people of Babylon. Their goal, Belshazzar's death. So the enemy is there. The enemy has arrived right outside the gate, and Belshazzar and all of his friends are having a party. And it's kind of bizarre, and you begin to think, well, why were they, why were they partying? Why were they celebrating? Why were they having this crazy, crazy time? Were they trying to boost morale of the people? Were they trying to deceive the city that 
everything was gonna be okay, that they're going to be just fine. I mean, this is Babylon after all. We're strong, we'll be okay. But I think what it's showing us is it's exposing the first symptom of wasted time. And that is distracted from what is important. Have you ever been there where you found yourself distracted from what's most important around you? I mean, I would say that when someone's coming to attack you to take your life, that that's something significant to pay attention to. Yet they're partying, they're celebrating in the face of death, complete dismissal. It was interesting, I was thinking about this and I couldn't help it and I even thought about rewriting the song party like it's 1999 to party like it's 539 BC and just kind of go a full Prince mode. Uh, But number one, that would be a tragedy for me to try to pull off anything close to what Prince could pull off back in the day. But it made me think about the song and I went and looked at the lyrics because honestly, I don't have the lyrics memorized. I know that it says party like it's 1999. And so I started thinking, so I went and read it. Let me read you some of the lyrics and notice the correlation between what this song sung by Prince describes and what we are observing from the story. But when I woke up this morning, I could have sworn it was judgment day. The sky was all purple. There were people running everywhere, trying to run from the destruction. And you know, I didn't even care. It's distracted from what's important. Because they say, 2000 party over, oops, out of time. Some of y'all are singing it in your head. So tonight I'm gonna party like it's 1999. I was dreaming when I wrote this, so sue me if I go too fast, but life is just a party and parties weren't meant to last. War is all around us, my mind says prepare to fight, so if I gotta die, I'm gonna listen to my body tonight because they say 2000, come on, zero, zero, party over, oops, out of time. So tonight I'm gonna party like it's 1999, all right? There's like three people like, can I, can I sing this song? Is it okay? Is it okay to sing this song in church? It's okay, all right? I just read you the whole lyrics. But here's what's interesting. There's so much similarity to what that song describes and what we're reading in the story of Belshazzar in Daniel chapter five. And I think it's important for us because what's happening is he's completely dismissing the reality of what's just beyond the walls of a city that's going to take him out. And I think there's a truth in this that's for us as well. The same is truth, true for us individually, for our families, for our nation, for our world. There's an enemy that is seeking to destroy us, to destroy you and me, to take our lives. And even if we're not facing death right now in this moment, our life is a slow progression of death and decay. It's part of living in a, in a fallen world. And we see this, and I was thinking about this, and I came across this quote from Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher And he says, the most consistent human reaction to unpleasant thoughts about their mortality is to distract themselves with amusement. You see this, they're distracting themselves with amusement, distracting themselves from the mortality that is just a few moments away. They're celebrating. Ernst Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, he states that in the face of our own mortality and thinking about our own death and the weight of that, we consistently turn to one of three things and he describes that we turn to our accomplishments, trying to push ourselves to continue to achieve things so that our life looks unique and looks like a life of substance, becoming workaholics in all that we do. Or we turn to romance, the thrill of sex or the thrill of being treasured by somebody for life. And if it's not one of those, then it's religion, working ourselves to 
to see ourselves as maybe a little bit better than everybody else. And I think you see all three of those in this story in the life of Belshazzar, consumed with this, dismissing the reality. And his point in saying all of this in his book, he says this, human beings cannot live in the full honest awareness of the meaning of death. And that sounds a little bit morbid. It feels heavy. And we've dealt with the reality of that a lot over the last several months in our world, in our nation, in our city, in our community, even in our church. And the question I think we have to consider as we dive into this is, are we prepared for that? Are we considering that? Are we living in light of the fact that tomorrow could be the last day? We're not promised another moment, another second, another week, another, another month, another year. So how does that impact the way that we live? We see what Belshazzar decides to do, and look how the story continues on. It takes a bizarre turn. It says, suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Now, this is a bizarre moment. I mean, they are celebrating, they are partying up. This is the finest wine, drinking from gold and silver goblets. I mean, this is, this is going well. And all of a sudden, this hand shows up. I mean, go way back. Some of you remember the Adams family. And the thing, I mean, crawling around on the ground, there's just this random hand. I mean, it's one thing to be scared of mice and spiders, but when a hand shows up, listen, I'm out. Like, this is a sobering moment for these people. They're like, man, they said this was wine, but somebody put something else in this wine. Like, what, I can't, what is going on? Notice the, re- the response. The king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him. That's understandable, right? And his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. I thought about trying to figure out a way to model that for you. And I, and no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. So he's terrified. In this moment, this hand shows up on the scene. This is somewhat of a wake-up moment. And Belshazzar is terrified. And look how he responds. Look what it says. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Man, this is crazy. This hand is writing on the plaster of the wall. And in this moment of panic, he calls in all these voices, the wisest voices that he can think of in this moment of panic. And it says that they all let him down. They weren't able to read the inscription. They weren't able to interpret what was going on. And look what happens in verse nine. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler and his nobles were perplexed. I think we see the second symptom of wasted time. In a moment of panic, in a moment of urgency, you see the dominant voices have failed Belshazzar. They've showed up. Belshazzar is called on the wisest. I mean, there's a reason that these nobles, these wise men are close to the king. He needs them to help help him interpret crazy, bizarre situations in life. Last week, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, Who did King Nebuchadnezzar go to? Daniel, the wise man, the one who had the spirit of God in him, in his voice, able to interpret the dreams. But for some reason, Belshazzar has dismissed Daniel. He said, Daniel's Daniel's no use to me. He's got these wise men around him and they are failing him in this moment. I think there's something for us to see here. 
as we think about the way that we live our lives, as we think about what shapes the way that we think and how we make our decisions in everyday life, in the deep decisions, the important decisions, the decisions about life and how to live life and the meaning of life. My fear is is that as we are allowing time to be wasted in our lives, we're allowing the dominant voices to fail us. We're looking to people who we consider to be the wisest in their field of expertise. We consider how they think. We consider how many degrees that they have. We consider how big their platform is, how popular they are, how well-known they are, and we begin to give greater credibility to their voice to explain some of the things that no human being is ever able to explain. And it's dangerous and it's failing us. Whether it's educators, and listen, I love education. I love higher education. I pursued two degrees and earned two degrees after high school. I appreciate that and I'm thankful for the influence that every single one of those professors and teachers assistants and everybody that influenced that. But I think it's dangerous when we allow higher education to begin to shape some of the ways that we think about human life and the meaning of life and the purpose of life and life after death. We see this happening in the story, whether it's educators, politicians, uh, athletes, pop culture, superstars, whoever it is, we're allowing some of the dominant voices in our life, social media platforms to dictate the way that we think. And we see this happening for Belshazzar and he's, being failed by these voices. I think it's important for us to consider, and it's not because everybody I just mentioned are evil people. This is what I want us to see. We're just looking to them. Unfortunately, the danger is we're wasting our time by looking to them and allowing them to influence the significant parts of our lives that they were never intended to influence. We see this happening in the story. So Belshazzar doesn't know what else to do, and his grandmother shows up on the scene, the queen, and she says, what about Daniel? Remember Daniel? So Daniel shows up on the scene, and we skip down later into the story, and we see some of the things that Daniel begins to express to Belshazzar. He says this, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. Remember, he told his grandfather that last week. He says, you have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. This is so important. Even though you knew all of this, you had the information but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear or understand. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you've exalted yourself. You've made life all about yourself, Belshazzar. And in doing that, You've begun to glorify yourself instead of glorifying God. And in addition to glorifying yourself, you're using some of the things that God set apart for his own worship to be used to worship him, to bring glory to him. You're using those things to bring glory to yourself and you're worshiping gods that have no life. He says, gods which do not see, hear, or understand. And then look how he, look at the contrast. This is Daniel and all his wisdom. He says, but the God in whose hand are your life breath. You see that? He's like, you've worshiped the dead. You've worshiped things. You've gone all in chasing after things that bring no life. And the God who brings life, who breathes life into your lungs and all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him and this inscription was written out. Here's the third symptom of wasted time. Your fame and pleasure are ultimate. 
you want to recognize where time is being wasted in your life, just begin to reflect and ask yourself the question, whose fame and whose pleasure is ultimate in your life? What is most important? Listen, I, I struggle with this. I struggled preparing this message. I've been all over the place all week, and I think some of it is because God's been trying to shake me up. He's been trying to get me to see some of the things, trying to wake me up so that I can respond to some of the truth that he wants us to see today. You see, we live in this time where we get caught in this tension between interacting and communicating and engaging with one another on these social media platforms or in person. And it's so easy to cross that line of interaction and friendship and relationship to how can I build a bigger platform for myself? How can I get more likes? How can I get more followers? How can I show everybody in the world that my life is better than theirs? Or that I'm smarter than they are, that I'm stronger than they are, that that I can make everybody wish that they had my life. I don't know about you, but I feel that tension sometimes. And I think this is where Belshazzar has decided to land the plane of his life, exalting himself, dismissing the God that is to be glorified with his life and saying, I'm gonna worship myself and I'm gonna worship the things that bring pleasure to myself. And Daniel just shoots straight and he says, listen, this is what you're doing. You've worshiped yourself as God. You've focused on your own pleasure. You've used some of the things that God gave you, that God blessed you with to bring value to your own life. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this sometimes. I think for us, sometimes we take some of the gifts, some of the talents, some of the resources, the money, the time, and we leverage all of it for our own pleasure, for our own pursuits, for our own dreams. And God has given us what we have because he loves us and because he's a good father, but also because he wants us to use those things to glorify him because when we glorify him with our time, when we glorify him by bringing him back some of, his, some of the money that he has given us, as we glorify him, as we use our energy to volunteer and serve other people, we're bringing glory to him. And as we bring glory to him, he draws people closer to himself. And there's no greater purpose for you and I to participate in than that. Daniel shows up and he, he just straight up calls Belshazzar out. Let's skip back up to verse 20. The story continues on as we consider these ways that we waste our time. He says, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly. Now he's not talking about Belshazzar right here. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is referring back to the incident that we learned about last week. Nebuchadnezzar in the desert. Nebuchadnezzar's life, how he was humbled by God. He's, he's reminding Belshazzar of this moment. He says, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud, I mean, he was so full of himself. He had exalted himself. He was focused on himself and his own pleasures that he became, behaved arrogantly. He was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beast and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He continues on. He says, he was giving, given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Remember, sometimes God will take you to places that you never wanted to be so that he can get you to recognize and see and have that wake up call moment that he is the most high God because there's nothing more important than that. Then he continues on, he says this, yet you, his son, his grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. He's reminding him. He says, Belshazzar, you knew this. 
It would be different if he didn't know any of this information. He was just living on impulse because he knew no differently, but he knew this. He knew this about God. He knew this about the Most High God. He knew this about his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, yet he didn't do anything about it. The first remedy to wasted time is simply to remove the distractions. You see, Belshazzar had the information but there was misapplication of the information that finds him in a place of devastation. The enemy is about to take him out. He is about to lose his life. Information plus misapplication equals devastation. If you wanna spin that around, information plus application equals transformation. To respond adequately to the information that you know, that you already know about yourself and God, leads you to a place of transformation, leads you to a place where you're stronger. It leads to a life that's built to last. You know, just this earlier this year, Valentine's Day, in fact, we were all losing our minds because there was a winter storm showing up. Winter storm Yuri. Now I was here on Sunday morning and some of you were, most of you weren't because you were home because ice terrifies us in Houston. And honestly, there were some of us that were very much dismissive about the information. We're like, man, I, it's not gonna be that bad. This is Houston. I moved to Houston because it's warm. It doesn't, we don't have winter weather. But the news was saying, hey, you need to prepare. You need to prepare. You need to have a plan in place. I mean, we've all heard that. And so I don't know what you did. I know that we all responded differently, but I know what I did. I got home from church that afternoon. And I went out to my backyard and I began to cover the trees. I began to use Christmas lights to keep the trees warm. I was covering them with blankets. I mean, I was going all out. Let me, let me show you a picture of this. This was my backyard that day. Now I thought I was a genius, all right? This is Aggie engineering at its best. I went overboard. I was like, man, I'm gonna take the information that I know and I'm going to make the proper application so that my plants are strong and so that they'll survive. And so, man, I had Christmas lights wrapped around all the plants and all the bushes, blankets and towels, covered it with sheets. And then I was like, oh, wait, I got some canopies. In those days at the beach or at my kids' sporting events, I was like, I'll put those over it. That'll protect it. And then I have these rose bushes that I'm a little bit obsessed with because I, I don't know why. It's kind of weird, but we have this weird relationship, me and the rose bushes. Um, and I didn't have enough uh, tarps, big word. I didn't have enough tarps. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can only cover up two of the four. What am I gonna do? Light bulb moment, air mattresses. And so my wife was thrilled to find out that I used our air mattresses, even sliced this one in half so I could cover everything up and I stapled them to our fence. I took the information that I had because I wanted to preserve the life of my plants. Now I didn't anticipate the power was gonna go out because nobody anticipated the power was gonna go out quite like it did. But I did protect some of my, all of my plants except for two survived. So I was proud of that moment but I had to do something. I had the information and I did something with what I knew. Failure to pay attention to what is most important has serious consequences and Belshazzar is about to find that out. How do you remove the distractions in your life? Make a plan, plan your time. If you fail to plan time in your life, life will plan your time. And you'll find yourself in a place living in serious consequences because we've been passive, we've been distracted, we've been running to everything else that seems urgent in moments of panic. Daniel is trying to help Belshazzar wake up in this moment, make a plan, maybe recognize some of the things that are robbing life from you, that are taking life from you. Maybe there's a tendency, a habit, an addiction that you need to step out of. You need to step into maybe a group here, a recovery group to find freedom from that. 
Maybe that's the way that you remove that distraction in your life. Time is your most valuable currency. Allah, word from Elon Musk. He tweeted that on Friday, ironically. Time is your most valuable currency, not Dogecoin. Time. Planets. Be intentional with it. Go back to verse 13. Look what, how, look what Daniel says. says. Then Daniel was brought before the king. So this is that moment. The queen is invited. Daniel, he's told, she's told Belshazzar, you need to bring Daniel in. He needs to communicate. You need to have a word with Daniel. So Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who was one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you. Now, do you see this? Notice Daniel wasn't at the party. He hadn't been invited to the party. For some reason, there was a distance between Daniel and Belshazzar. Despite what Daniel had done for his grandfather in, in, in the days before, but he had heard about him. He knew about him. He had information about him. But there was a misapplication of that information in Belshazzar's life. But he knew and he remembered that there was a spirit in him. We know that that's the Holy Spirit. He wasn't completely aware of what that spirit was. He knew there was something supernatural about Daniel. And he says, in that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. He's describing what he already knew about Daniel. But notice who he ran to. He didn't run to Daniel. He ran to all the other wise men, all the other nobles who in the past had not been able to come through when he needed them to come through. He says, but, but I personally have heard about you, that you were able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. I think this shows us the second remedy to wasted time. Replace the dominant voices in your life. What would it look like to replace the dominant voices in your life? Notice Daniel's not at the party, and we don't really know exactly why, but we can make some assumptions based on what we just read in Belshazzar's conversation. Maybe he intentionally distanced himself from Daniel. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, there will be times in your life where the world will not want to hear what you have to say, and you will be pushed off, you will be pushed out, you will be dismissed until there's a moment of crisis or panic. And someone has looked everywhere else for the answers, failing to find the answer that they need. And where do they run? They run to you. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I introduce myself to people, I love to meet new people. I love to have conversation with people and dialogue. Um, I don't ever say, hi, my name is Wes and I'm a pastor, because that would be weird. I mean, you don't say, hi, my name is John and I'm a coach. Hi, my name is John and I'm a lawyer. You don't say that, because that would be awkward. So I don't say that. And I kind of enjoy people not knowing that I'm a pastor. But it also sets up for some really funny moments down the road. Because oftentimes we'll get an hour, two hours, or a week, two weeks down the road, and they'll say, so what do you do? well, I'm a, I'm a pastor at Community of Faith. And they're like, oh, shoot. Notice I said, shoot, because that's what they say. Because they begin to backpedal in their mind. They think, oh, gosh, what have I said to Wes since I met him? What have I talked about? What have I done? They begin to kind of go back in their mind. They're like, oh, my gosh, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Yeah, this happened yesterday. We were at a football game watching my youngest play football. And there was a guy there that's a friend of mine that was just part of the team parents. And I don't know if you knew this, but people lose their minds at youth sports competitions. It's just a thing. Um, it's, a, it's a pandemic, I guess. And uh, this guy lost his mind a little bit. We all do it. Um, I did it yesterday at my house by myself during the second half of the AM Colorado game. So listen, I, there's no judgment from me. But this guy lost his mind. And after the game, I'm putting everything up and he comes and puts his hand on my back and he goes, excuse me, pastor, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for the way that I acted. <laughs> 
And it caught me off guard. And I was like, man, listen, you don't have to apologize to me. I'm just as messed up as you are sometimes, okay? So don't, don't, don't worry about it. But it's interesting how we respond. It's interesting how people respond to someone who says they're a person of faith. I read this week, this quote that said, Christians in the world, you will be wanted someday by Belshazzar. You are not at the beginning of the feast, but you will be there before the banqueting, shall is cl- banqueting hall is closed. The king will not ask you to drink wine, but he will ask you to tell him the secret of his pain and to heal the melody of his heart. Abide your time. You are a nobody now, but the Christian will have his opportunity. They will send for him or her when all other friends have failed. You see this happening. Belshazzar has tried everything else and he finally remembers Daniel. He begins to replace the dominant voices in his mind that have failed him, in his life that have failed him. And he goes to Daniel, what would this look like for us? To begin to replace some of these voices, to turn off some of these voices. To maybe distance ourselves from some of the voices that are failing us and begin carving out some time and space to hear from the voice of God through his word, just carving out some time maybe to just read the Bible. And like, Wes, I don't even know where to start with that. First, download the Bible app and then click on plans and you'll see a, an exhaustive list of Bible reading plans. Many of them have devotionals, but it might be a starting place just to carve out 15 minutes and start diving into the word of God, the Bible, and begin to hear God's voice but I don't think that's the only step you have to take as you begin to do that and you begin to understand God's word, you begin to hear from God, you begin to hear his voice through his word. You can begin to hear that through other people as well. Maybe you invite other people to come around you who love God, but also care about people and say, hey, listen, I, 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 need, to, I need some friendship with you. I need some relationship with people who have my best interest in mind, but also love Jesus. Maybe you do that by joining a small group. Maybe you start carving out some time to pray to hear God's voice through prayer. We'll talk more about that next week. What you'll find is as you learn God's word, you'll be challenged. You'll be given new understanding, new perspective. And there'll be some things that you'll hear and you'll read and you'll say, no, I don't wanna change. I don't wanna do that. In those moments where you feel that tension of like, I hear what he's saying, but I don't wanna do that because I don't like the way that it feels. I'm not going to change. In that moment, you decide to pray, God, change my heart in this area. You'll begin to hear more from him. And that's when you invite people around you for accountability and for wisdom. Listen to what Daniel says at the end in verse 25. He says, now this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, mene, tekel eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Daniel is saying, listen, Belshazzar, your days were numbered and the end has come. And that's true for every single one of us. The difference is, is that he found out when his exact day was. We don't know when our exact day will be. And for someone in this room, somebody watching online, there's a good chance that this time next year, we're not in the same place anymore because our days are numbered and we don't know when, but it's something to pay attention to. It's something to wake up to. He continues on, he says, Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Notice, Belshazzar has spent his life wasting his time, exalting himself, focused on his fame fame and his pleasure, trying to make his life feel worthy, feel like a life of significance, a life of purpose. And what Daniel is exposing to him, he's saying, you've been found deficient. He's saying, listen, you are a lightweight, you are skinny. And some of you are like, Wes, that's good news. 
If I can wake up and hear someone tell me that I'm a lightweight, like I'm winning, all right? This isn't good news. Because what he's saying is saying, hey, you've spent your life trying to build yourself up and all of your effort is still insufficient to God's standards. The scale doesn't land in your favor. He's telling Belshazzar this and he goes, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Literally in this moment, the Persians and the Medes had dammed up the Euphrates River that ran through the city of Babylon. And after a little bit of time, as they diverted the water into a marshy area, the water level fell in the river and the Persians and the Medes were able to walk by foot through the riverbed into the city, kill the guards and take over the city and take Belshazzar's life. His days were numbered. This was the end. This is terrible news. But we all need this. Here's what I appreciate about Daniel throughout the book of Daniel. Daniel was incredibly loyal, but he was also maybe even more so incredibly honest. Sometimes I think we struggle to be honest because we want to be loyal. Sometimes the best way to be loyal is to be honest and share the truth. And Daniel shares the truth of Belshazzar. But I think the truth for Belshazzar is the truth for us. He's saying, listen, your days are numbered. And you've spent all your time exhausting yourself, trying to build up your own kingdom to make your life feel significant. And there's not anything you and I can do to to, to accomplish that. And the result is the enemy is going to take you out. The only result of that is death. This is what he wants him to see. This is what he wants us to see. This is the wake-up moment for Belshazzar, but it's also the wake-up moment for us. Listen, the Bible does not teach some kind of social evolution where we start in this low place and we begin to work ourselves and exhaust ourselves to figure out all of life's problems and solve all of the problems of the world. The teaching of the Bible is, is that we were low and there was nothing we could do to be brought up to the place where God is. And so God sent his son Jesus to do the only thing possible to restore us into the relationship with him. And in order to experience that, we have to step into this third remedy, that is to remain humble. Because there's nothing in our lives that holds up. There's nothing in our lives that stacks up. It's important for us to see this. We see this clear picture of natural man. I'm not just talking about unshaven, no deodorant, natural man. Natural man, apart from God. This is our greatest hope, apart from God. Death and a life of insignificance. I think it's important that we pay attention to this. This is a revelation from God in this moment, but it's a revelation from God for us. Maybe it's a reminder for some, but for others today, this is the first time that this has ever really begun to make sense. This is that wake-up call moment. And it's not enough just to wake up to the information. A response is necessary. You see the finger of God throughout the Bible. The first place you read about the finger of God is when Pharaoh, in this encounter with Moses and Aaron, they're they're making miracles happen with their rods and their staves. And in the end of this interaction, Pharaoh finally says, this is clearly the finger of God and there is nothing that we can do. When Moses comes down from the mountain with the 10 commandments inscribed in the stone, he says, these have been written with the finger of God himself. You get into the New Testament, you read about this encounter in John chapter eight, where Jesus meets this woman who's been brought before him because she's been caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees of self-righteous have brought her before her before him, completely shamed and condemned and judged. And she says, they say, Jesus, 
the result of her sin, the result of the life that she's tried to build up, the significance that she's tried to earn through the thrill of sex and romance is death. Jesus, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna stone her? Because that's what the Bible says we should do. What does Jesus do? He stoops down and he puts his finger on the ground. He begins to write something. We don't know what he writes, but I wonder if he starts to write out the sins and the blemishes and the hangups and the failures of everybody in the audience, the self-righteous, the self-righteous and the woman who's been caught in adultery and says, hey, listen, no one here has any right to judge or to stone. And they begin to drop their rocks. They begin to walk off. And then he has this conversation with this woman and it's an invitation. He stands up from the ground after he's put his finger and revealed who he is and who God is in this moment. He says, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She's like overwhelmed in this moment, I'm sure. And then Jesus has this invitation to her. He says, I do not condemn you either. Go and sin no more. This is a wake up call for this moment, for this woman. This is an invitation. And we don't know how she responds, but Jesus would go to the cross, he would give his life and he would come back to to life on the third day. And he's ruling and reigning on our behalf today. I wonder if today is maybe that wake up call moment in the middle of a pandemic with job losses and death and grief and uncertainty and division. Maybe it's in that moment of panic for some of us that God's trying to get our attention. But you have to decide today, how will you respond? I'll close with this story that I know many of you read yesterday because it went viral on social media. My boys, my wife, and I have watched a lot of documentaries and seen a lot of things on TV this week about September 11th, 2001. Specifically, the story of Todd Beamer. I have a picture of him up here on the screen. Todd Beamer was on Flight 93, which ultimately crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. But there was a transcription of the conversation that he had with a telephone operator on that day, that unexpected day, a wake-up call moment. And I just want to read you a brief portion of that. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Todd Beamer is having this conversation with a woman named Lisa Jefferson. And Todd says, hello, operator, listen to me. I can't speak very loud, but this is an emergency. I'm, an, I'm a passenger on United Flight to San Francisco. We have a situation here. Our plane has been hijacked. Can you understand me? She says, yes, they begin to explain the whole scene, the, the box cutters, the potential loss of life, the bomb that was on the plane, how the pilots, pilots have been taken out. They've hijacked the plane. And Todd says, everyone is really scared. A few passengers with cell phones have made calls to relatives. A guy, Jeremy, was talking to his wife just before the hijacking started. She told him that hijackers had crashed two planes into the World Trade Center. Lisa, is that true? Lisa says, Todd, I have to tell you the truth. And I just think right there, we gotta pause because every single one of us in this room and watching online, we need people around us that are willing to tell us the truth even when it's bad news because you can't respond to the truth if you don't know the truth. She says, I have to tell you the truth, it's very bad. The World Trade Center is gone. Both towers have been destroyed. Todd is gaining information. He's going to have to make a choice in a second. Todd says, oh God, help us. This is a moment of panic, of urgency. Lisa says, a third plane was taken over by terrorists. It crashed into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Our country is under attack, and I'm afraid that your plane may be part of their plan. He continues on, Lisa, will you do something for me? And she said, yes, I will. He goes, I want you to call my wife and my kids for me and tell them what's happened. 
promise me that you'll call. She says, I promise, I'll call. He says, tell her that I love her. Tell my boys that their daddy loves them and that he is proud of them as he's clearing his throat, overwhelmed with emotion. The reality of this devastating situation on the doorstep of death. Lisa says, I'll tell them, I promise, Todd. Todd says, I'm going back to the group. If I get back, I will. So she calls the FBI agent. She gets an FBI agent on the phone. They begin to have a conversation with the three of them, Todd, the FBI agent, and Lisa. And Todd says, I understand all of the information. I'll be back. They find out that they only have about 20 minutes left. Todd comes back. He says, listen to me. I want you to hear this. I've talked with the others, and we have decided we would not be pawns in these hijackers' suicidal plot. So Lisa said, Todd, what are you going to do? He says, we have a plan. Lisa, will you do one last thing for me? Yes, what is it? Would you pray with me? So they pray. She recites the 23rd Psalm. Then Todd says in a soft voice, God help me, Jesus help me. And then she hears him say, are you guys ready? Let's roll. No, Todd is a picture of what it looks like to be focused not be distracted despite the circumstances going on around him he was committed to what was most important he chose the right voices to listen to he could have dismissed it and he could have sat there passive assuming that it was all just going to be okay that they're going to be fine that he's he's strong enough to to take care of the situation but instead he remained humble he made a plan he ultimately gave up his life to save the lives of other people. Man, that's the ultimate picture of humility. And I tell that story for two reasons. One is, I don't know about you, but even, even in this moment this week, it's been a weird week. My kids are growing up in a different world than I grew up in. We've seen that transpire over the last 20 years. You know, in 9-11, country came together and we seemed unified. We went to war to protect our freedoms and what we valued. Today, it feels like we're just at war with ourselves, dysfunctional. What's the answer? The answer is Jesus. What Todd did is a picture of what Jesus did. He had a plan. He was focused on that plan. His focus was you, it was me, to do what we couldn't do for ourselves so that the reality of Belshazzar's life, death, doesn't have to be your reality and my reality. So Jesus gave his life so that I could have life even after I take my last breath on this earth. When I think about the chaos going on, there's really nothing more important than waking up to that and responding to that and saying, Jesus, I trust you. I'm crossing this line of faith. I put my life in your hands. I don't wanna be distracted by the nonsense anymore. I'm gonna trust you. Use me. Let my life be a life of purpose, a life that you wanna use. What would that look like for us? What would it look like to respond this way? I believe that when we respond this way, we find the strength that we've been looking for for a long time. And some maybe need to respond for the very first time today. I'll leave you with this. Tomorrow may be too late to respond to what you know is true today.
Do you know Jesus? Would you respond to him? What would it look like to stop hitting the snooze button of our lives and to respond to what we know? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. God, I don't like that you made emotions sometimes because I don't like to get emotional, but I think we just feel the weights of the world that we live in. God, as much as we feel that weight right now in this moment, would we feel your presence even more? And would we have courage? Would we have strength? Would we have boldness to live in the ways that you've called us to live, that we wouldn't be distracted by the nonsense and the things that don't have any significance? Will we stop listening to the voices that are destructive in our lives? Will we be able to maintain humility? God, give us the ability and the courage to do that. We trust you for that. We trust you with our lives. So God, I pray right now that what we've heard today would not stay here, but it would go with us this week. God, we don't wanna waste our time. We don't wanna waste our lives. So we trust you with everything. In Jesus' name, amen.